Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Amen. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. And uh, so glad that you're here this morning. And last week we kind of left off on a gloomy chapter. Chapter 27 is one of the ugliest chapter in all of God's Word. In fact, it paints a picture of the everyday, run-of-the-mill, modern American family. Totally dysfunctional. Here is a family that is actually God's family. This is the family that God will introduce himself to the world through as a nation. This is the family lineage that God will ultimately put on flesh and enter this world through in his son Jesus, the Messiah. And yet this family, God is not ashamed or God does not shield or hide the reality that every family, because every person at some point in time will have some level of dysfunctionality. And because of that, we live in a broken world. And I I, I want you to feel at home this morning. If your family has had in the past, or maybe currently today, has at least some level of dysfunctionality, raise your hand. I don't want you to look around. We're not alone, amen? (laughs) Thank you for two hands, all right? We're not alone, okay? And you're not alone. It's very, very normal. Now, in chapter 27, what happens is we find God's family very, very broken. We find the father all messed up, showing favoritism, trying to cheat God, uh, cheat Jacob out of the blessing that God wanted to give him. We find Esau uh, all messed up, trying to rob the blessing that God wanted to give his brother. We find Jacob trying to steal steal the blessing that Isaac was going to give to Esau. We find Rebecca, man, she one messed up woman. Okay, she she put the whole plan together. She bossing her son around at 70 years old, telling him to put goat fur on his neck so they can so they can fool the old man. I mean, it is a messed up family. And we left last week um, Esau saying, when the old man dies, I am killing Jacob. Now, that's a messed up family, and you may be thinking, yeah, that kind of looks like mine. Well, I want to tell you today, no matter where you're at, no matter what your family uh, looks like, no matter what dysfunction you may have experienced in your life, look at your neighbor and say, don't get stuck. Because chapter 27 is just that. It is a chapter. And what God chooses to do, what he desires to do, what he initiates is to send his Holy Spirit, blow, and blow to the next chapter, and move to the next. Sometimes it's difficult. See how that was difficult? You know why that was difficult? To show you a picture of how we often do. We say, oh, no, God, don't be blowing up in my life. I'm in the middle of junk. I'm in the middle of dysfunction, and I think I'm just going to camp out and get stuck right here in chapter 27. And it is not God's will or his desire that you hang out in 27. He wants to write a brand-new chapter in your life. So if you're here today... And you think things are rough. I wrote this down because I was thinking about how to paint a picture of of, of what God's desire for us. I wrote it down last week and I didn't read it. I read it to the early service, but I didn't read it in the second. So I'm going to read it now. When everything is so messed up, 
that you feel like you could absolutely throw up, and you can't figure out which way is up, and to sum it up, you're just fed up and ready to give up. Then right then and right there, it's time to speak up and tell the devil to shut up. Now, it doesn't stop right there. At that moment then, it's time to just start to pray up, then rise up, hold your head up, look up. Remember, God didn't give up, and you won't give up. You won't back up or you won't let up till Jesus shows up and says, come on up, and then you get to see him close up. Now, that's how we're supposed to live our life. Don't get stuck in 27. Move to 28. Hold your head up. Go before God, submit yourself to him and say, God, that was an ugly chapter and you're still on your throne. And I didn't like chapter 27 in my life. I didn't like chapter 27 in my journey. So right now, God, I am giving myself to you. Help me move to chapter 28. Do with me, for me in my life what you will because I want you to write a brand new chapter in my life. So Genesis 28 now starts because this is what God does. And 28, everything calms down just a little bit. 27 was a wreck. And your life may have been a wreck. 28, calm it down. Calm it down. Listen what happens. He begins in chapter 28, verse 1. Isaac called for Jacob and he blessed him. Right out of the chute, brand new chapter, right in its origin. Isaac, the dad who was all messed up too, okay, He says, okay, man, I've messed this thing up. And so he actually blesses Jacob. He tells him he needs to go to find Uncle Laban so he can find him a good wife out of the cousin folk. Okay, there's a good plan. Okay, and then we go on down to verse 8. Esau, you remember where we left him off? He was wanting to murder his brother. It says, Esau realized that the Canaanite women were displeasing to his father Isaac, so Esau went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebioth, and, and the daughter of Abraham's son Ishmael. So even Esau, he's calmed down. He said, okay, the number one thing on my mind right now is not killing my brother. I think I'm going to try to make my dad happy because he's getting old and we kind of messed him all up. And so I'm going to marry a woman who is not of some foreign people. I'm going to marry somebody uh, in, in the lineage, in the family. That, uh, that way, it'll make my dad happy. See, they're turning the page. Now, what happens is we, we often want to hang on in that old chapter, And based on what we saw in the last chapter, it develops in us expectations of what's going to happen in the future. I just want to tell you today, no matter what happened in your life yesterday, it does not dictate your tomorrow. See, we've got a lot of people in this world today who want to claim, who want to uh, pull the uh, uh, victim card. Well, I'm going to be tomorrow like I was in the past because of my past. My past determines my future. If your past determines your future, it's because you're living, you're living your life for yourself and not letting God be the God of your life. Because when God is the God of your life, he does not look at tomorrow and build it based on your yesterday. He takes your yesterday and says, man, that was a mess. That was a joke. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to whisper on that and make something beautiful of it. That's what God does. So the title of the message this is this, a change in expectations, a change in expectations. Now, in this story, we begin, now we're in verse 10 of chapter 28, and point number one is this, when you least expect it. When you least expect it, God will do a change in your life. 
Often, you're oblivious to the fact, the reality that he is at work in your life. We just kind of think we're in this game all by ourselves. We forget that he is right here with us. We forget that he's sovereign. He's overall. Nothing happens that it doesn't go through his sovereign will filter. He allows things because he's sovereign and he knows the future. So look what happens in verse 10. Meanwhile, okay, Esau, Isaac have calmed down. Jacob now, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran, verse 11. He reached a certain place where he decided to camp because the sun had gone down. He took one of the stones, and he placed it near his head, and he fell asleep in that place, and he had a dream. Now, this is Jacob the shyster, okay? This is Jacob, the one who was a 70-year-old mama's boy. This was a 70-year-old guy who his mom still told him what to wear. Seriously, read chapter 27. This is the one who is 70 years old, and when his mom says, son, take that goat skin, that furry goat skin, and strap it on your neck, he said, yes, ma'am. This is the guy who kind of hung out in the tents, it says. He may have been a shepherd. He may have just been a family cook or cook for the people in their community, okay? This is the guy. This is the guy that tricked his dad, his blind old dad, into giving him the blessing. Now he finds himself on this journey because his dad and mom said, you need to go find you a woman. (laughs) It's a little late in the game. You know, you're 70, son. It's time you move out the house, okay? It's time you go find you a woman, okay? And so he goes on this journey. Now he doesn't know it. In a time when he least expected God wanted anything to do with him because he was not a believer, At this point, he knew of God. He had this gray matter um, awareness of God, but he did not have a heart awareness. He had not had a personal encounter with God. He just knew of God from his dad and from his grandfather, Abraham and Isaac. And so he's on this journey. He's got about a 500-mile trek, and it's going to take him several weeks now to make it to Uncle Laban so he can get him a good woman, all right? And so that's what's going on. The only thing he has going for him is the blessing of God on his life. And he doesn't understand the weighted value of God's blessing. And I just want to pause right there. You know who that looks like? Most of us. Most of us, we don't understand. We don't embrace. We, we lose our awareness of the weighted value of the blessing of God on our life. You, you walk one minute of one day without the blessing of, of God on your life, you will know it. But God chooses to desire to bless us and be with us every day. And it it is extremely valuable. And so he's on this journey trying to find a woman. Now, the Bible says that at the end of the day, he says he laid down at this certain place because he decided to camp. You see, he's unaware. And so he's just like, okay, I'm going to find me a woman. I'm going to Uncle Laban's house. Man, the sun's going down. Must be time to go to bed. He pulls a rock up and puts under his head. That's a good plan. Okay. And he goes to sleep unaware. You know, sometimes it takes us going to sleep before God can even have an opportunity to have an audience with us. Because we're so distracted by everything in the world, man. we got jobs to do. We've got this to do. We've got that to do. And we're always pursuing something, and we miss out on the opportunity for God to simply speak to our heart. And it happens here. So what happens is God has to allow him to go to sleep so he can speak to him. So when you least expect it, look out. You may be here today, 
with absolutely no expectation of God wanting anything to do with you. You may be here today and you're like, I, you know, I'm, I'm just here checking a box. Friend invited me. Wife made me come. Kids are upstairs. They need to be in church. So I just brought them. You may be, when you least expect it, look out. Because that's what often when God will show up and say, hey, I got you. Okay? Now watch this, number two. Not only when you least expect it, but what you least expected. Okay. Here's a guy who's a shyster. He's on the run from his brother. And he goes to sleep, and now look what he sees. It's not what he would expect. It says he went to sleep. Verse 12 then continues. It says, and he saw a stairway. Your, your translation may say a ladder erected on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens. And the angels of God were going up and coming down it. Now, dreams are a funny thing, okay? And let me just go ahead and qualify it. God doesn't often today reveal himself in dreams. He does, and he can. He's God, but he doesn't often. In, in the Old Testament, he revealed himself in dreams. He revealed himself through weather. He revealed himself through animals. He revealed himself through wise counsel. He revealed himself a lot of ways. And now in the New Testament, he most often reveals himself through his sovereign, infallible, inerrant, forever word. He also couples this because he often affirms what he says in his word by convicting our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in the people who believed in God. The Holy Spirit had not been given yet. In the Old Testament, often they didn't even have much of this word. Certainly they didn't have all of this word. Certainly they didn't have the revelation of the New Testament. And so God spoke often audibly or in dreams. Now, I'm, I will tell you, God still speaks in, speaks in dreams sometimes, but when he does, we need to be sure that it aligns itself well with Scripture. And if it doesn't, then it's not a God-given dream. It is a bad Mexican supper dream. Okay. Now, have you ever had one of those? This is a dream like this. Have you ever had one of those dreams that right in the middle of it, you think, is this real or is this like a dream? Have you ever had those? Maybe you don't talk to yourself in your dreams. I do. I'm laying there because they're so real. And I'm thinking, is this real or is it a dream? If it's a bad thing, then I start saying, it's a dream. It's a dream. They're not going to kill me. It's a dream. I'm not falling off the Empire State Building naked. It's a dream, okay? Or whatever it is. I didn't actually have that one, I don't think. You just got a little revelation I didn't even have, okay? We go to Brazil. Kyle has dreams. They're called night terrors. We're, we're in Brazil in a little hotel room, and I hear some skirmishing around. And I look over, and, you know, Kyle's in shape. You know, he's got some guns on him. I look over. He's sitting 90 degrees in the bed like this, and he's speaking like he's in speaking in tongues. He's like, and he's going like this, and his face, man, you see, he's doing this. And I'm like, man, I'm getting me another room tomorrow, okay? <laughs> and whilst in here, I'm going to sleep with this eye open, keeping my eye on him. And after a minute, this is what he did. I guess he, he conquered the demon because then he went like this, put his arms down, shunk, right back asleep, okay? Very real. Okay, we have to be careful with our dreams. Okay, but you know how they are, man. They're real. So here's Jacob. He's not expecting God. He doesn't even really believe in God. He just heard his dad and his grandfather talk about him. But now all of a sudden he has this encounter with this dream and there's a ladder that's been erected or built going to heaven and angels coming down and going up. Now let me just go ahead and tell you, that's perfectly normal that angels are coming down and going up. Angels are in this world. God sends angels to minister on his behalf in our life. They're called ministering 
angels. They protect us, they look after us, but most of all, their job is to do battle on our behalf against another creature that is in this world that we can't see that are demons. You see, when Lucifer was cast from heaven, he convinced a third of the angels before he got booted, he had convinced a third of the angels that he had a better plan than God. So God cast them out of heaven. And so demons, some of them are bound, some of them are loose on this planet. And they give us grief. And if you don't believe there's demons and angels, open up, turn on your TV and watch the news, okay? There are people who act on behalf of what demons have placed in them. They're possessed. It's real. And so angels are fighting demons as we speak, okay? It's called spiritual warfare. You can't see it, and quite honestly, you don't want to. If you did, first thing you'd have to do, change your underwear. It would be bad, bad news if you saw what's going on in the unknown, in the unseen, but it's real. The Bible talks all about it. So angels are real. They're going back and forth from heaven to earth. It's it's happening. And and, and he gets this image that they're on this ladder or this staircase. And so when you least expect it, God's liable to make a change in your life. And he often does it with what you least expect. The third thing I want you to see is he includes who you least expected. So Jacob, expecting nothing, sees this ladder, but then something else happens. The Bible says, and the Lord stood at its top and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. Okay. So you just tricked your dad out of the blessing. I mean, you went way over the top. You stuck fur on you You put your brother's clothes on so you'd smell like grass and animals, okay? You went in there, you let him kiss you so he could smell you. You let him rub your furry neck, okay? You've done everything to trick your dad. Now your brother hates you and you're a fugitive. And then you go to sleep and a ladder shows up with angels coming back and forth. And then God says, hey, it's me, the Lord, the God of your dad and your grandfather. Now the question is, what are you going to think in that moment? What are you going to think in that moment? This is bad news, right? I mean, you're going to go start saying what I said a minute ago. Bad dream, bad dream, bad dream. This is a dream, this is a dream, this is a dream. Because why would God show up and speak to you in light of your life that you just experienced in chapter 27? I mean, based on how you lived your life just yesterday or just in the past few days, why would God want to speak to you unless he's really going to drop the hammer on your life? Well, God says, I'm here, and he, he comes with a purpose. Now, here's what God does. I want, to set, I want to set the stage for what's getting ready to happen. When you deserve wrath, when you deserve judgment, when you deserve discipline, when you deserve condemnation, that is when we are most vulnerable before God. I just want to tell you something right here before we read any further. If your view of God is that he is some kind of cosmic killjoy, that he is some kind of God watching you, and the first time you laugh or smile or enjoy yourself, he goes, bam. Or the first time you just color outside the lines just a little bit, and he just comes, are you kidding me? Bam. Then you got the wrong idea of God. I was raised in a church. That's kind of the impression I had. I don't know if they taught it to me or it was my own idea. I want to tell you something. That's not God. Now, he has a disciplining side, he has a judgment side, he has a wrathful side, but God, Scripture says, is love. And his number one way of reaching you, moving you, molding you, shaping you is through grace and love. And that is 
really, really good news. So when you least expect it, what you least expected, who you least expected, number four, what can be expected? What can be expected? Because when God shows up, it's often not what you expected. So listen what happens. He shows up in verse 13. Now God's speaking to Jacob, the fugitive, the shyster. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I didn't come to bust you up. I didn't come to destroy you. I came, and this is what he says, I will give you and your descendants the ground you are lying on. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south. And all of the families of the earth will pronounce blessings on one another using your name and that of your descendants. Verse 15, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now, wait a minute. That's not right. That's not right. God was supposed to bring judgment here. I mean, this guy is a royal loser. Okay? And, and you know what we do? Sometimes we look at somebody else and say, God, that's not fair right there. Okay? I mean, that guy is a loser. You need to drop the hammer on him. He's not going to get your love message. You need to just go ahead and whack him. Okay? Because I'm wanting to whack him, and you're going to save me the trouble. Okay? Yet when the shoe's on our feet, we want more grace. Have you ever noticed that? Let me just ask you something. Have you ever known somebody that really offended you or offended others, and then all of a sudden they make this profession of faith and they have this testimony that now they're under the grace of God and God had set them free and it agitated you a little bit? Anybody want to be honest with that? Okay, thank you. We're like, no, God, they shouldn't get that. When we do that, it's because we haven't looked in the mirror very very well and we haven't looked lately because what God has given to others, we're products of, and that's grace. And, and if you think you didn't need much grace, you need to beg God to reveal the wickedness of who you are because you didn't bring anything good to the table, and he brought it all. Now, we like to think we bring a lot of good to the table because we compare ourselves to someone who may not be as fortunate and as good as we are. And so God looks at our broken, sinful condition, and he says, I think I'm going to try grace. And I'm glad that God is a God of grace. I'm glad that he chooses to try grace first instead of punishment and discipline, or I would be missing like limbs. I mean, I would be totally devastated if he didn't try grace first. I want you to know this morning that God, I believe God bends time and moves the hearts of men to administer grace to us, to prevent us from going too far down the wrong road. I believe he looks after us. I've, I've shared before, I got saved when I was 10 years old. And man, I, I, was, a, I, was, a, a, I was a good Christian boy for part of that. And then the wheels fell off the train, man, and it just, I, just, I just got real dumb real fast. And I was always guilty in my conscience. When I would do wrong, I felt like it was wrong. But I would just push through it and go ahead and do it because that's what the world was doing. And God was gracious. Now, I got battle scars. Don't get me wrong. I got parts for, I got artificial parts and all that stuff. I got battle scars of life, okay, from being dumb. But sometimes God bends time and changes hearts. Let me give you an example. So I want you to go back time to 1981 when 
when mischief and crime was at a different level. We didn't carry semi-automatic weapons. We didn't even have them. If we wanted to get somebody, we would carry toilet paper and soap. You know what I'm saying? Anybody in here roll somebody's yard ever? Okay. Center. Okay. So 1981, I am at Tennessee Tech in Cookville, Tennessee. And I'm a Christian, but I ain't a very good one. I am a miserably defeated Christian. That's what I am. And Tennessee Tech and MTSU in Murfreesboro were rivals. And it was homecoming week. And MTSU flew an airplane over Cookville, Tennessee with these little pieces of paper. I'm just, pardon the expression, it said, go to hell tech. Like a million of them. And Cookville is a church of Christ town. So I'm thinking to myself, that's sinful. You don't do that on church of Christ town. And then some senior decides, he was, with, he was one of the leaders in ROTC. And he says, hey, we're going to organize and we're going to attack MTSU. And we're going to send them. I'm not making this up. He said, we're going to send people down there in fronts. We're going to have the Marines. They're going to go in first, clear the way. All right? Then we're going to send the Navy in, then the Army and the Air Force. We're all going in. And we're retaliating against MTSU. That's all you need to tell a dumb bunch of freshmen at college. Okay? And so I didn't even have a car my freshman year. Next thing I know, me and two of my buddies are in the back of a pickup truck riding to Murfreesboro in November. I, I was so cold. I had the spare tire on top of me trying to warm me up. We get down there, and sure enough, man, the Marines, they came, they conquered. I mean, they had everything was rolled, windows were soaked, some stuff wasn't very friendly. Okay, I mean, it was really ugly. And so what did we do? We were armed, you know, with toilet paper. Okay, we started rolling, rolling. Well, we rolled so much, we got thirsty. So we go up, the university center was open. We go in to get a drink of water. I mean, we're going to ruin their stuff and drink their water. Now, that is vandalism at its peak, okay? We get in there, and I look up, and there's a clock, institutional clock on the wall, and it said like 1130 at night. And I look down, and there's a chair there. Well, next thing I know, my buddies are saying, hey, you get the clock, and we'll get the gumball machine. Well, the gumball machine was chained to the handrail. But idiot here jumps up in the chair. I don't know why. And next thing I know, I'm pulling the clock off of the wall. And I'm like, and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We showed them. And I'll, show, I'll tell you how good of a criminal, a thief I was. I was wearing my high school varsity jacket. So I take this clock, I shove it up under my varsity jacket, and we're walking out. As soon as we walked out the door, two police officers standing there. He said, uh, boys, one of, the, one of your people from Tennessee Tech just ran over a police officer. We are going to start locking people up. Get in your car, go home. If we see you again, we're putting you in jail. One of them's doing all the talking, and the other one was just looking down at my midsex. I'm like, what's this weirdo looking at? Okay. They turn, yes, sir, we're leaving right now. We turned to walk off, and I looked, off, looked down, and the, the, the cord of that clock, <laughs> hey, I'm not kidding. It had a label that said property of MTSU. <laughs> now, listen to me. They should have locked my tail up. They should have put me in jail. But God, for whatever reason, bent time and moved hearts, and they graced me. He knew, he knew that the only thing worse than having a stupid story about stealing a clock is going to jail for it. And so he didn't put me in jail. Now, you may say, well, I don't know if that's a connection or not. Kendra and I started dating a couple years later. I was a much better person after I met her. 
okay? She and the Holy Spirit had a whole lot to do with me. And we were moving into a house. We'd gotten married. I still had this silly clock. I don't know why. She, she picked it up. She says, what is this? I said, let me have that. That's, that's, that's just marking time of days gone by. Wasn't a, good, wasn't a good chapter, okay? And so God spares us. He graces us. I want you to know today, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are a product of grace. You didn't do anything to make God love you. You didn't do anything to make God choose to save you from your sins. You didn't do anything for God to keep you in his grace. You didn't do anything to earn his merit or his accolades or his approval or his applause or his pat on the back. He gives you all of that. He gives you a land. He gives you a name. He gives you a place. He gives you a future. All because of grace. That's it. And the sooner we get that, the sooner we can understand and become who it is that God wants us to be. So moving forward, what, what do we do? Well, that's the next point. It's not just when you least expect it. It's not just what you least expect it. It's not who you least expected. It's not what can be expected. Here's where the rubber hits the road, and we move forward with a story like this. And the title of the point is, What He Should Expect. What now should he expect from us in response to what he has lavishly given to us? It says, then Jacob woke up. <laughs> yeah. He woke up and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. But I didn't realize it. No, he didn't. Because he just laid down because the sun went down. And you may be here this morning, and you just came here because of whatever reason. And you didn't realize Wow, you didn't realize God was going to show up in here. And you didn't realize that he was going to reach down into your story and touch the depths of your soul and say, hey, I see you and I love you right where you are. But I love you way too much to leave you there. I want to take you somewhere new. And so what happens is when we have an encounter, it gives us a fresh faith. You see, all the while, his faith was his dad and his grandfather's faith. Now, let me pause right here. I got to tell you this. I have a, a deep-rooted faith in God. I have a deep experiential. I have a deep uh, longing. I have a deep appreciation. I have a deep uh, uh, intimacy in my faith with God. But there was a day in my life when my parents took me to church and I saw my grandparents. I heard my grandparents' testimonies. I heard my dad's and my mom's testimony. I heard a moment in time when they're sharing with me about Jesus. But there had to be a moment in time when I had to have an experience of my own, when I felt God touch me and say, hey, I, I, got, I got all in. This is, God says, this is between me and you. I love you. I want you to be with me. I want to bring you in. And he pursued me. I didn't pursue him. He came to where I was right in the middle of chapter 27 mess. He came and said, hey, I want you to come out of that. I want to take you to a new place. And so all of a sudden, I, we can have this fresh faith. And it happened to Jacob. Verse 17, he was afraid. And he said, what an awesome place this is. 
This is nothing else than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. All of a sudden, he had this reverential fear. I want you to understand, we've lost our reverential fear of God. We allow sin to be in our life on a repetitive basis, thinking God just turns the other way, sweeps it under the rug, but he will not. He cannot. He's God, and he's holy. And and it's not a fear like I'm afraid of him. It's a fear like I'm amazed by him. And so I I have this reverential fear like, man, I don't want to hurt him. I mean, he's holy and perfect, desires nothing, and I don't want to. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to ruin my testimony. I don't want somebody to watch my life and say, "I, I don't want to be a Christian," or the God God must not be real because look at his life. I don't want to be that. We've lost our reverential fear. Thirdly, in verse eighteen, it says, "Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed near his head and he set it up as a sacred stone. Then he poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel." although the former name of the town was Luz. We get a different outlook. I said in the early service, the pillar that he slept on, the pillow that he slept on became the pillar of monument. I told him in Kentucky, pillar and pillow could be the same thing, okay? But here's what happens. When God touches you in in that place, and wherever you are, and it may be this place, it may be that place, maybe the seat you're sitting in, and say, but this is, man, this is kind of a special place. It's not the place. It's the person of Jesus Christ moving through the presence of the Holy Spirit. I can take you back 45 years ago, take you to a place in Norris, Tennessee, in the front of a little church up there. I can show you approximately where I stood when the God of everything spoke to my little puny sinful heart and invited me to him. I can take you how I, and show you where I trembled as I walked to the front of that little church and spoke to that scary evangelist. I can show you the place where I said, I want Jesus to save my life. I can point up to a place right up above that and say, that's where I sealed it with baptism forevermore. I can take you to Ch- Chattanooga, and I can show you in a choir loft where God spoke to my heart, and he said, man, I got your heart, but I want your life I want to do something in your life. I can show you the place. I can take you to Harriman, Tennessee, to a Cracker Barrel or Rockwood or whatever it is. There's a Cracker Barrel where I met Mike Thompson, and and, and God said, Joel, it's time to go to Clinton, Tennessee. I can take you right out here in this parking lot and show you where about five years ago, God said, Joel, let's do a work over here at the church at Sturkey Hills. When God shows up and touches your life, there's a place There's a place, and it doesn't matter where you are. That place, oh, listen, that place is the place where the God of everything shows up. It's not sacred, holy real estate. It's the place where your heart abides, and it's the place where God comes and touches it. And if you've never had that, you're like Jacob, running as a fugitive. And all the while, he's wanting to invite you in. My goodness. Here's where it completes. It says, then Jacob made a vow, and he says, man, if God is going to be with me, and if God's going to protect me on this journey, and if he's going to give me food to eat and clothing to wear, then and, and re- return me safely to my father's home, then the Lord will become my God too. You get a, a fresh new commitment. Let me tell you, I've got two wonderful daughters, and I always wanted them to believe in Jesus. 
I always wanted them to have a real faith. I couldn't decide for them. They had to decide for themselves. And I, I, I'm so excited that they did. And now I have a little grandson, a little granddaughter on the way. And, 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 and I want so badly for them to embrace the faith that I have. But I can't do it for them. I'm going to do everything I can to tell them. I'm going to do everything I can to convince them. I'm going to do everything I can to point the way to that. But I want with everything a moment in time where they say, man, that faith that my papa and my Mimi were talking about, man, that's real to me. That's real to me. And that's what happened in his life. He says, then surely this is going to be my God too. Then verse 22 says, then this stone that I have set up as a sacred stone, it will be the house of God. And I will surely give you back a tenth of everything you give me. Wow. Giving, tithing didn't even exist yet. But when you have an encounter and you understand the gift of God, the grace of God, it moves you to want to give whatever you have, finances, talents, whatever you have, abilities. You just want to give them because he's given them to you and you know where they came from. And so that's what, ha- what, that's what happened here. Now watch this. You say, well, that's, that's kind of a cool story, but what does that really have to do with Jesus? How, what does that really have to do with gospel, with the New Testament? Well, it's a really good question. In John chapter 1, Jesus meets a guy named Nathaniel. I want you to see this. It's cool. He meets a guy named Nathaniel, and this is what he says in verse 47. He says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, he said about Nathaniel, he said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now watch this. Jacob's name means deceit. A couple chapters later, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, the place where there is no deceit. Jesus now says, hey, this is Nathaniel. There is no Jacob in his life. There is no deceit in his life. This is is Israel. This is the one who is pure and holy and his motivations are right. Then he says this. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And he says, Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Ah, he says, you're going to see greater things than this. Listen, he said, truly, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven's gate open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. What Jacob saw when he saw that dream and that ladder was the bridge that connected, the the bridge that reached the chasm between the divinity of God and the humanity of us that reached from the holiness of God to the sinfulness of us that reached from all of God's riches to the depth of our wickedness. What he saw when he saw that ladder was Jesus, the Messiah, with his arms spread open saying, listen, I am the way, I am the bridge, I am the ladder, I am the staircase, I am the way that you can get to heaven. It is by me and by me alone. Jesus would later say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
Jesus would say, if, if a person comes through the wrong gate, they are a thief and a robber. There's one way to get to heaven. And it's that ladder whose name is Jesus that Jacob saw in chapter 28, right on the heels of the ugliest chapter, one of them in God's word. And today he's still there offering you a way to get to God. Here's what happens in this world. Well, I don't want, I don't like his ladder. I don't like his way. I don't like his exclusive way of being the only one. I want to build my own ladder. And you can look around. The world's full of people erecting their own ladder, climbing, climbing, working, doing, religious, religious. But one day when this life is over, those people on the wrong ladder will get to the top and they'll realize their ladder has been standing on the wrong wall and they won't have an eternal home in heaven. So if you're here today, I want you to know Jesus is offering you a way, a way from chapter 27 of brokenness and ruin and devastation to a place of eternal hope and victory. And all we have to do is say, I'll take your way because my way has been a mess. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to ask you this morning, if you're here today and you don't have a very simple question, you don't have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have a religion, you have some stuff, but you don't have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to be honest in this moment, in this place, when you least expected it. I want you to be honest to God. I want you to raise your hand if that's you and say, yeah, God, I, I don't really have that. 